than I had thought, but it's been good to walk through that. One of the things that we see reoccurring throughout 1 Peter is this theme of hope. He writes to a people that are in the midst of of different types of suffering, some of that suffering coming from there. They were those who are far from the Lord, and they were, they were Gentiles and part of the culture and the worship of other gods and other, going after other vices of the world, and they've turned to Christ, and they're maligned, and they're persecuted, and he calls them to hope, even in suffering, that they're even taking part in the fellowship of Christ. And there's this joy, joyful, eternal, Christ-focused hope in suffering that Peter points his readers to and points us to. And even at the end of the last passage that we had before this, of chapter 4, verse 19, he says to them, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There's a suffering and yet able to entrust ourselves to, we'll see today, the chief shepherd, the one who cares for our soul and press on in that. So he calls them to that. And of course, in the midst of a time of strife and and persecution and suffering, uh, there's a need for the body of Christ, for them to gather. And he gives instruction in these few verses for relationships within the church. Specifically, he really does focus in on, on the elders the leaders, the pastors of the churches, and, and gives instruction to them. But then at the end, he, he us all together, and there's instruction for all of us. But as I think of this, and I think of this passage, I think of how Scripture talks about the body of Christ, that we are, we are those who are followers of him, and we gather together, and we each have different different roles and different parts. There's some who are, are leaders, those are elders and shepherds, there are deacons that we're going to talk about a little bit today too as we um, ordain um, Jonathan as a deacon today. But we're reminded that we all have a part and none are indispensable. I think of how Paul speaks about it in 1 Corinthians 12, 21 through 23. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand. Again, he's speaking of, of the church, of the brothers and sisters in Christ as they gather and using the illustration of a body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor, again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. So there's just this call that all the parts of the body are important. And we've used the illustration before. I have the idea if you're a, a woodworker and you're doing... Doing, you're using a table saw and you're not watching your fingers. I've always been told, always know where your fingers are. That's the key. Happen where you don't. And, and if you were to, if a, to sever a finger, you don't just leave that finger to the side and keep working on, on the work that you have. You rush to the hospital with to be able to put it back on and save that finger because if a finger's by itself for a long enough period of time, it just dies. Uh, and we are called to be a part of a body, um, not a member. Um, a, a part, we'll see that there's a flock. There's no idea of, of a sheep by itself, but it's part of a flock. And even though we know that just the pain of even the smallest um, loss um, can be painful, and the Lord has given us the gift of the body together. So we're thankful for that um, from the shepherd, um, the elders, the pastors of the church, to deacons, to 
all that are in the church. So we'll see that today as we look at this passage. So we'll begin verse 1, and we see Peter that he speaks of himself as an elder, as a shepherd, and he gives himself as an example as he begins. An example of a shepherding elder in Peter. He writes, so I exhort, this is in First Peter 5, verse 1, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he begins and he says, I exhort, I exhort the elders. And he could have said, I command, because he's an apostle and he stands in a place of authority, but he exhorts them. He encourages them. And I see in a little bit why he does this, because he wants the elders that we'll see, he wants them to lead willingly, not under compulsion, but willingly. And he, he exhorts them and encourages these shepherds, these elders. They're the, the pastors who shepherd the church that lead the church of, of, of God, the church of Christ. We have these elders, and we've talked about that before at Calvary, how throughout the New Testament we see these terms of elder and of pastor and overseer, and they're interchangeable throughout. And the term that we see most often used for the one who, who is the one who has a, the job of leading the church, of, of ministering the word and prayer to the church and shepherding the flock is the word of elder. And we're reminded, what does a shepherd do? What does a pastor do? He, he's called to know the flock, to lead the flock, to feed the flock, and to protect the flock. And we see this throughout. If you want to see some verses where he just talks about elders and, and that even that phrasing of that and the, those who lead the church, it, you see it Acts 14.23. Think of Paul as he, he goes on his missionary journey, then he comes back and he appoints elders in those churches are in Acts 17 on, on Paul's final missionary journey. And he, he's going through and he, he calls the elders, the pastors, the shepherds from Ephesus to meet with. Think of Titus where he writes to Titus and he talks about him in the very beginning of that letter that he left him there in Crete to appoint elders in the towns. And our James chapter five, we're, we're called when we are sick to call the elders to our home to pray. So we have, have this, this theme, this role um, within the church throughout the New Testament. So he calls and he writes to these fellow elders and then he identifies with them. He says, as a fellow elder. So he's, he's one of them. And Peter is one who led by example. And he followed the example of Jesus Christ, who was the chief shepherd. He was the one that he saw and modeled. And then he led in the same way. And he writes to these fellow elders. He could have said, I, I write to you as an apostle, but he, again, he chooses to say uh, a fellow elder. He, he's saying, we're in this together. And I know that phrase, we're in this together, has been a little bit overused recently, but there's a call where he's identifying with them, a fellow elder, and pulls them in. As well, as, he's, as he continues, a witness of the suffering of Christ. He's one who's, who's seen the sufferings of Jesus Christ. But we also know of Peter that he was one, as he, he witnessed the suffering of Christ, he was one who also denied Christ, and yet Christ forgave him and, and restored him and then called him to then to go to lead the sheep and to feed his sheep and tend to his sheep. And he's one also that was one who, who suffered and took upon and shared in the sufferings of Jesus Christ as well. And we saw that in chapter 4, just the passage just a little bit before. 
for this, this call to, to share in the sufferings of Christ. And then he also says to them, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So he's one who's seen the suffering, but also will know that he is one who will partake with Christ in the glory to come. It's talking about the second coming of Christ, the return of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of what God has begun in us will be completed. And he knows that and he encourages them in this truth. And we've seen also throughout First Peter, there's themes of, of, of suffering, but then glory. Suffering and then glory. It's a pattern that we see throughout even in our walk. We see it even looking at the example of Jesus Christ. I think of First Peter 1, chapter 1, verse 10 through 11, where Peter wrote, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched Inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. The suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. And then even in this chapter, in, in verse 10 of chapter 5, he says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish. So we see this theme that often there is suffering, but there is uh, glory, there's restoration. Um, in Christ we see there's death, but there's restoration and there is salvation. So there's an assurance of them, even as they, they call to persevere in times of suffering, as they have hope and glory to come. Then as he continues here, he begins to give instruction. He begins to give instruction to the elders about their task and what they're called to do. As it says in verse, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So he just begins and he calls them, those elders, to shepherd the flock that is amongst them. And we do think of the time where Peter is with Jesus after Jesus had risen from grave and he comes to Peter and he restores him and asks him, do you love me? And he says, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And here Peter is instructing them to shepherd the flock that is amongst them. Again, we have this idea that we're part of a flock. Um, we're not just a single sheep in a single area, but we're part of a flock. That, that's part of God's grace um, to be a part of a family of brothers and sisters in Christ. He also calls the elders to shepherd the flock that is amongst them. Those who, who he lives around, those in his location that the shepherd is called to. And it's interesting, if I was speaking to a group of pastors, I'd probably speak a lot more about this, but we live kind of in a day and time where with social media and different things, we have this ability to try to reach everyone and every segment of the population throughout the world through um, our, out, our outreach through Facebook and things. But I think there, there are times where I think uh, people have that call where the enables pastors to have a, a real wide reach. But I think for a lot of pastors, we, need to focus, we must focus in and shepherd the flock that is amongst us in our, our church body and the community around us for a long period of time, loving and caring for the flock that he has called us to. And then he, he tells about these different roles, things they should do and the things, well, first that they should not do in ways they should not lead and then ways they, they should lead. And as we look at this, I think there's a lot of 
application that can be for different types of leadership within the church and even application for those who are deacons. And today, a few, well, a few weeks back, we had voted, we had affirmed Jonathan as a deacon here at our church. And as, in that role, as we understand it, that there's the role of the elder, the pastor, and the role of the deacon. The deacon is the servant leader. He's the, the lead servant leader in the church. And we have a, a mission statement here at Calvary for the deacon. And it goes like this. The deacons exist as servant leaders, helping the congregation of Calvary to grow as joyful, passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. So servant leaders, that they're part of this desire to build up disciples for Christ. And the different roles that we have for the deacon. The deacons are the lead servants in the church. The deacons joyfully assist the pastor. Hopefully joyfully, right? <laughs> uh, hopefully, I don't mean There's instruction to, to, to me in this so that it should be a joy. The deacons facilitate God-honoring worship. They help in the, and prepare for times of worship on Sunday and throughout the week. Deacons help care for the poor, the broken, and the needy. Deacons mobilize others to serve. Um, so this is their role. And we'll see through this that there's application for, for Jonathan, but application for all of us in different ways that we're called to love and serve people well. So here are some of the things that we're called to, that elders are called to. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. So they're called to lead, but not under compulsion, not under obligation, not out of fear, not out of force, uh, because if you want to find a poor leader, find one who leads out of obligation. You'll find a, someone who doesn't lead well and love well. And also someone who doesn't have a lot of stamina in the midst of trial and difficulty. It's a little bit maybe you have, like I have worked as for an attempt job situation. And when you're just doing that because you just kind of have to and just how it is for the time period. If things get tough, what do you do? You just quit. <laughs> but that's not what the, the pastors call to. They're instead to exercise oversight voluntarily according to the will of God, willingly as God would have them. So this desire to serve the Lord, a true desire of, of loving and dying to self and serving. So, so Jonathan, as you think of, of serving here in the position of, of, as a deacon, again, it's with a heart willing, a desiring to serve the sheep at, at, at Derby Hill, and always checking your heart, are you submitting to Christ and willingly doing it? And then he continues. It says, not, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So it's not for, maybe your translation says, not for sordid gain. It's not for greed. In 1 Timothy 3, 3, when it talks about the elders and the different call upon the elders and requirements, for elders and overseers and pastors, it says that they're not to be lovers of money. So they're not seeking motivation. Isn't, isn't that of money or that of having a platform of power, whatever it might be, or having some sort of authority? But we're called to guard her. What is the motive as we're serving and loving? Before our family, we went and served in China. I talked to one of my mentors and one that I served with in, in Ecuador, and I asked him, just as we were looking at teams and trying to find a place to go, the one thing that he told me was, make sure you, you, that you join those who aren't seeking to build their own kingdom. Um, 
but seeking to build the kingdom of God. And I think that's a big thing. And he, he'd seen that he'd been in places and on teams and places where the, he felt that they were really trying to build their own kingdom. Um, maybe there was some sordid gain that they were looking at. And that's one thing I love about even just the Calvary family of churches, the network of churches that we're a part of. There's such a strong emphasis to, to make sure that there's no single person that has some sort of great high power or whatever it might be. Um, it's not about that. It's humbly serving and to serve with eagerness. So you serve eagerly. When I think of a, just a picture of eagerly serving, I think of my time when I served at Camp I. Haji during college and a counselor and a director of, of different camps. And, and think of that because when you serve as a camp counselor for a lot of camps, and especially Camp Idrahaji, because they, they don't have as high of fees as some of the different camps do, so that means you get paid a lot less. And at that time, it was back in the day, I don't know what they get paid now, but we had about 100, we got paid about $100 a week, and we worked a whole bunch of hours, so it was essentially like about 70 cents an hour. Um, but if you, you'll, you'll find a group of, of young followers of Christ who are eager to serve Christ in those positions because they know they're not, they're not getting much gain financially from it, but they know they're there to serve and to love and to share. So uh, that's how we are to, to serve. And even we should always ask the Lord to give us an eagerness to serve and asking ourselves, Again, as we ask here, who is my ministry? Who is the Lord calling me to serve and love? So, Jonathan, regularly ask yourself, what is your motivation as you lead and serve as a deacon? Um, is it to love God and love others? Then it continues in, in verse 3 there. Not domineering, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. So, again, not, not lording it over to those you've been called to, to lead. Not being domineering. And the idea when Peter talked about a husband and a wife and called the husband to show honor to his wife as a fellow heir. Um, we are fellow heirs in Christ. And are called to love in such a way and to be an example to the flock. And you think of Peter who followed Christ. And Christ, what an example Jesus Christ was. And one that washed the disciples' feet. Peter had... The Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, washes feet and gives example and loving. And Peter loved in that way and called them to love and be an example. Called it to love and serve in such a way and be an example. And as Paul talks about in Philippians, especially chapter 2, about having that mind of Christ and being those who are like Christ, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, but emptied himself, becoming a servant. Um, being obedient even to death, death on the cross. And it, as, Peter, as, I'm sorry, as Jesus said himself in Mark 10, which I point to a lot, 10 verse 45, the Son of Man came, what, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jonathan, as a deacon, um, lead, as the lead uh, servant, as leading out, serving, lead by example. Um, not to hold control or to take uh, power or position, but lo- loving and serving it, as an example to the flock. And then verse 4, we see the motivation of a, a shepherding elder. There's a motivation here that we see. And the chief shepherd, speaking of Jesus Christ, appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 
So there's this call and this reminder that when Jesus comes, there'll be reward. And he is our chief shepherd. He is even the elders, we, we, the shepherds of the flock. We are under shepherds. We have a chief shepherd. We need to be shepherded. And we're reminded of our good shepherd that we follow. And he's one that will come and he comes graciously and rewards. And we see the reward of that crown of glory. That crown of glory. So there's also, we see throughout scripture that all of those who are followers of Christ are called that they will receive the crown of life that we see in James 1 verse 12. And that there is great reward and great hope that we find in him. But he wants to encourage those those elders and those leaders, that there is a great reward in Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd, that he will come, he will return, and there's great hope in him. And then verses, verse 5, uh, we, the instruction to the flock as a whole. It says, like you are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So first there's that call for the those who are younger to be subject to the elders and and there's some debate as if he's talking about those who are just younger in faith or those who are are younger um, in age and it seems mostly those who are younger in age and, and maybe Peter knew that those who are younger wrestle more with submitting to authority over them and he, he wants to instruct them specifically and uh, I know that's true. If, if you're like me, um, when, you were, when you were in your teens, maybe you thought you probably had it all together. And then when you're in your 20s, you look back at your teens, you're like, man, I didn't know anything. And then when you, and then when you're 20s, when you know most everything, you get to your 30s and you look back and you're like, man, I didn't know a whole lot less than I did now. Now in my 40s, I look back at my 30s and say, man, I was really, I look at pictures of things that were going on and think, man, I was clueless. And I'm sure as I'm in my 50s, I'll look back and so on, but we need instruction. He calls them to be subject, to submit to the elders. And this is the same word that he used in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 about submitting um, to authority for the Lord's sake, as to the Lord, as to Jesus, and calling them to do this. I think of also of Hebrews 13, verse 17, where there's this instruction to the church, obey your leaders and submit to them. They are keeping watch over your souls as those to give an account. And that's, for those who are shepherds, that's a huge verse. That we are those who are called to have, be well, those who watch over the souls of the flock. And we have to give an account. And then he says, let them do this with joy, not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So just calling to, to lovingly serve uh, and submit to, to those who are leading them. And, and have great accountability to the chief shepherd. It's a little bit... Like when, well, last week we took a few, or I guess a week ago, whatever, we took a few days and went up to Estes, Kelly and I, and our kids stayed with, with family, and we always tell our kids, make it a joy for them to be able to watch you. It's kind of that idea, make it a joy. Um, so he, he calls them, and then in verse, the uh, last part of verse 5, clothe yourself, all of you, so we're all drawn in, all of us. To clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So clothe ourselves with humility. 
And that's all of us, from the, the pastor elders to, to deacons to Calvary Kids workers to community group workers to Calvary Kids themselves. We're all called to this humility. And you think about church under a trial and persecution and, and suffering. You need humility. You need that unity that is brought in through that humility as we die to self and love one another. And you think of all these things that he's asked us to do and not do. Humility is a key to that, to not be domineering, not seeking sordid gain. There's humility in that. And there's a strong word that God opposes the proud. It's a strong statement. He opposes the proud. We're called to, to always be those who continually ask the Lord to make our hearts humble and to die, die to self. Um, it's not about us becoming more powerful, but becoming more humble. And then there's motivation, but God gives grace to the humble. And humility, sometimes, more often than not, it, it'll call us to do things like take criticism uh, without defending ourselves, forgiving and asking forgiveness from someone even when we've been deeply wounded. Uh, it means seeking, um, risking ourselves to serve other people. There's this call of humility, but there is this motivation under that we know that the Lord is His grace is sufficient in the midst of our humility. Uh, in some of my old notes that I had, I, I had this in quotations. I didn't have it cited of where I found it or anything, so I wanted to claim it as my own, but I probably shouldn't since it wasn't quotations. I guess I probably didn't say it, but it said, humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run and lovingly. Humility is the oil that allows relationships in the church to run smoothly and lovingly. So call to humility. So Jonathan, as we ordain you today, um, lead and serve with humility. Always clothing yourself. It's an act of putting on. That means humility is a hard thing. That we need to ask the Lord to do that. And this morning, as as we close on looking at this passage, um, what might we be reminded of the chief shepherd of Jesus Christ? He is the one who is our good shepherd, the one who died for us in our place and rose again, that we can have forgiveness of sin, that we can have true life in him. And maybe you wake up most mornings with just a low level or maybe a heavy weight of guilt upon your soul, knowing that you're in need of forgiveness, and Jesus is the one who came to rescue us, that we could be forgiven and be brought to right fellowship with God and forgiven. So this morning, if you come, knowing that you you are longing to be in relationship with God and see the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, I call you this morning to, to turn from yourself and your sin and trust in Jesus Christ this morning, even in our time of, of response as we take the Lord's Supper, just to remain seated and just ask the Lord to... to to forgive you of your sins and become um, that Christ would be your Lord and Savior. And if you want to talk about that, to grab one of the, the cards that you received on the way in and just mark that you want to know more about following Christ. Well, before we, um, well, just, uh, just as way of, of our order today, uh, I'll have a time of prayer. We'll take the Lord's Supper. And after that, um, a time of just the ordination, just a, a, some charges to encourage Jonathan in, and then as a congregation, some things to, that we should do as we um, 
want to encourage Jonathan and his family and Joanne and their kids. And then we'll pray for them. And then after that, we'll sing a song and be dismissed. So let me, let me pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for this time to gather today. We thank you for your word that speaks so clearly about our need um, and comfort so greatly as we think of the glory to come and the, the reward found in Christ, our chief shepherd, whose example was his life poured out for us but then rose again victorious. And we pray um, that you would help. We have all have roles within the church and we're all called to clothe ourselves with humility, the humility of Christ, that you would help us to love and serve one another well, eagerly, and also to serve and love those who you've planted us near in our workplace or in school or in our neighborhood. We pray in Jesus Christ, amen.